0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. I want to ask you to turn with me and your Bibles to the Gospel of John. So we're looking at John chapter 20. I'm going to be focusing on verses 11 through 18, but I'll read starting at verse 1 for some context. and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have together a household of faith to gather in the name of our great Savior, to exalt you together. We've come, O oh Lord, to not only praise you, but to sit at your feet and to learn of you. Father, we pray that you would help us, help us to have ears that hear, that we would consider what you are saying. We pray that you would speak plainly that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would know in this place that we have met with God, the living God. Lord, I ask that if there are those amongst us, perhaps numbers that are here that do not know the Savior and are not known by the Savior, who are without God, without hope now, we pray that this would be a day in which they are gloriously saved from sin Some might even fall upon their faces and say with conviction that the Lord is God and that you are worthy. We pray that we might come away from this time together and say that Jesus Christ is our Jesus. He is the friend of sinners. He is Lord of Lords. He is King of Kings. He is our Savior and friend. And if ever we love Thee, it is now. Lord, help us to understand, help us to hear. We pray, O God, that You would use me in spite of me, and that Jesus Christ, who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory, would get what He deserves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We read here that it's early, the first day of the week, and still dark, so quite early. And Mary Magdalene, if we take the Gospels together, Mary Magdalene is gone with Mary, the mother of James, as well as Joanna and Salom and some other women, and we're told that they went to the tomb with spices, and the plan was to anoint the body of Jesus. And this was a way in which they could honor him. So somehow, the women were expecting that they would be allowed access to his body. In Mark, we read that uh, they spoke among themselves, saying, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? So clearly, they didn't have a plan. They just knew what they wanted to do, and they went hoping that they would be able to do it. But to their surprise, when they got there, they found that Jesus wasn't there. His body was gone. Now, at this point, you should know already that there's a problem, and the problem is these women should not have been surprised. Jesus had not kept his resurrection a secret from them. We read in Matthew 16 very plainly that he said to them, from that time, it says, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. But we also know that the disciples were slow to believe. Peter and John themselves were slow to believe. Verse 9, it says this, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Now that seems to me a bit strange, in one sense, because we're talking about believers. These were men and women who knew the Lord, they knew who he was, they had heard him speak to them. They loved Him, and they knew the Scriptures, and yet somehow they didn't understand them. It teaches us at least one thing. It teaches us that, as J.C. Ryle said years ago, true grace and not head knowledge is the one thing needful. True grace and not head knowledge is the one thing needful. In other words, it's not good enough to have head knowledge. You know, it's one thing to read something in the Bible and to understand it intellectually. It's another thing for the words of God to penetrate the heart and to uh, be acted on. For us to understand what God is saying and then to live it out. That does not come naturally to the flesh. That is why so many people pick up the Bible and read it without understanding. Why so many read the Bible and it doesn't impact their lives. But that's also why the born-again man or woman, though they may not understand what has happened, will find that suddenly, as they open up their Bibles, they can understand. And as they're reading, they're not just reading words, but God is speaking to them. So that's the, that's the thing I want you to just consider, then, even as you look at what uh, we find here in the terms of just the, the disciples and the, the women, their unbelief. But then I want you to also then think about this, the, the way in which these women came to the tomb under these circumstances. So ignorant as they were, thinking that they would find a lifeless body there, that they still went in this way to honor Jesus. Peter and John, the other disciples, didn't go. But these women went. And so I want you to consider how these women loved their master. What a show of love this was. God had not given these women a prominent place in, the king, in his church. Uh, they were not given to write epistles. They were not preachers. They were not teachers. But they loved the Savior. And their loving service, though it was uh, never actually carried out, because there was no need to carry it out, it was remembered and recorded, remembered by God and recorded for all of history. And we need to remember that. We need to remember what God notices here and records for us. And I say that because I, I mean, personally, and I, I think many of us can identify that with this, I, I've certainly in the last while struggled with my own situation, having been a pastor and at the moment anyway, sidelined. And I've had to ask myself again and again, what is more important to me? Is it more important for me to be a pastor, or is it more important for me to be holy, truly holy? I can tell you, and Jacob would say the same, Will and Randy would say, it's a tremendous privilege to serve as a pastor. It is a wonderful thing to be able to come and to to preach Jesus Christ And I thank God for the opportunity to do it. But holiness, holiness is better. A close walk with God is far more precious than any ministry, any service that you may be called or asked to do. You know, so often it is assumed that there is something demeaning and unkind about the role that women are assigned in the Scriptures. Because if we take the Bible at face value as we should, we come to the Bible and we find that women cannot do some of the things that men can do, and the reason is because God won't allow it. But look at what they can do. Well, they can love and they can serve their master as these women did. They cannot preach. They cannot have authority over men. But they can, in the simplest and most affectionate of ways, love him and honor him. In the church, they can't rise to the same level of influence with men as a minister might have. But they can walk with God. They can live near to God, as Mary did. The truth is, sometimes women are found in places, men are not, simply because they love Him. And I'm talking about the throne of grace, I'm talking about the place of prayer. I believe that we're going to find out one day as we get to glory, we begin to understand some of the things that have been hidden from us now, we'll realize then just what a tremendous place some women have had actually in the kingdom, not visibly, not visibly but hidden behind the scenes in the place of prayer. We will understand how much has been owed to these women or men or children perhaps even, hidden, quiet labors of those who have wrestled with God in secret, who quietly and privately loved Him. I think there are many women who, like these women, don't have great theological training, may even on some points be ignorant, may be wrong, but who dearly loved, dearly loved their Savior. Well, there's another question I want you to think about, and that is this, why does this passage give so much attention to Mary? Well, I want to read to you what was said by one man years ago. He said, she, that is Mary, Mary Magdalene, she was last at his cross and first at his grave. She stayed longest there and was soonest here. Now, this is a woman you remember, I trust many of you will remember, that she had been forgiven much, Jesus said. And having been forgiven much... She loved much. That one simple fact explained so much and still does. It explained why she was here. It explained perhaps why some weren't there. It also explains today why some in the church do so little. A question was put years ago by a man named J.C. Ryle. He asked this. He said, how is it? That many who profess and call themselves Christians do so little for the Savior whose name they bear? How is it that many whose faith and grace it would be uncharitable to deny work so little, give so little, say so little, take so little pains to promote Christ's cause and bring glory to Christ in the world? And then he gave an answer. There's only one answer. It is a low sense of debt and obligation to Christ, which is the account of the whole matter. You see, the problem with many is that their sin is not felt. They understand it intellectually, but they've never perhaps come face to face with the depth and the depravity of their own hearts, the weight of their sin, the cost of it, as Jesus bore it at the cross. The reality is, that the person who understands that he has been forgiven much, the woman who has had a sense of just how much she has been forgiven and how much she has been delivered from, will think she can never praise him enough. There's times when we come begrudging, where our attitude toward the Lord is begrudging, begrudging in service. Not the one who's been forgiven much. Never enough. Now let's go through and think through what happened that morning. You have Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, at least two other women. They go down early in the morning before the sun is up with their spices. When they get there, they see that the stone is rolled away. And Jesus isn't there. And it seems at this point that they scatter, they left. Mary went to tell, we take the scriptures together, it seems that Mary went to tell Peter and John, and the others went to tell the other disciples. While Mary was gone, an angel appeared to the other women, telling them to go and tell the disciples that Jesus had risen as he had said, which point they left. Mary Magdalene found Peter and John, and I want you to notice then what she said to Peter and John. She didn't come to Peter and John and say as we might think she ought to say. Our Lord is risen. The tomb's empty. She says they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. So she doesn't understand. And we read here that Peter and John run to see for themselves. John outruns Peter. Peter. Peter goes in first, he sees, and the Bible tells us that he believed. And then they went home. But Mary, it says, verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Isn't that strange? Isn't it strange that a woman on the day of resurrection, finding an empty tomb would be crying, craving. I say that because you and I recognize this isn't a day for sadness. The Lord Jesus Christ, who has gone to the cross, who has paid for our sins, is risen. She's standing at an open tomb, but she doesn't understand the significance of this. All she knows is that he's not there, and she thinks they've taken him away. And then she looks into the tomb, and she sees what Peter and John didn't see. There are now two angels there, sitting where the Lord Jesus had lain. And they asked her a good question. Woman, why are you weeping? And I want you to notice here that the Bible tells us little about the angels, but it is quite clear that the angels were not weeping. You know, the angels loved Jesus. The angels love him. He's their, save, their king, not their savior, as he didn't go to the cross for them. But he's their God, he's their master. They're not crying the reason they're not crying is because they understand what has happened, that this Savior, this Jesus, is not dead. He's not been taken away. His body has not been stolen. He's risen. And then she answers them. She, they come, to. So why are you weeping? And she says, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. And you know, as disappointing as that might be to us, as we look at this and understand this woman's confused, she's not believing what she should believe, I want you to notice the tenderness of her love for her, her Savior and her King. She didn't understand, but what she did know was that this was her Lord. gone maybe, but still her Lord. And, you know, that is such a beautiful expression of childlike faith. You see, in that simple way, she was recognizing something that we all ought to recognize. That nothing, no circumstance, no event ever changes the fact of who he is. That our Lord Jesus Christ is Lord And if you are a child of God, he is your Lord. And there will be times, the reality is, many of you have faced them already. Times when you will be forsaken by men, as Paul said in the scriptures, he said, at my first answer, all forsook me. But then he added this. He said, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. There will be times when you will be forsaken by men. There will be times when in the darkness of what's going on in your life. That it will seem as if God is hiding his face from you. It will feel, though you know the scriptures say differently. It will feel like you've been forsaken by him. Have you not known times like that? He felt so alone, left even of the joy of his presence. But you know, I'll tell you, if the spirit of God is within you, no matter how low you may feel, no no matter how tempted to despair you may be, if the spirit within you bears witness, you will be able to say of Jesus, he is my Lord. He's still my Lord. He may have, in a sense, been taken from me. I may not enjoy the smiles from his face that I used to. I may not have that season of refreshing from the presence of the Lord that I remember from last month or last year or from my early conversion period. I may not enjoy the sense of his favor. I may not right now have that sense of the the love of God shed abroad in my heart but that doesn't change what he is, and it doesn't change what he is to me. He is still king of kings, lord of lords, and he's mine. I am his, and he is mine. Mary loved him. And though all she had expected to find that morning was a lifeless body, through her confusion, it was something. There was something there. In her simple way, this was the very nearest she could get to the master that she loved so much. You know, it is especially in those dark seasons in our lives, Especially, it's times especially when you are discouraged. Discouraged maybe by seeking God and not seeming to find him, Discouraged by events in your life, the circumstances of your life, what's going on in the world, what's going on in the home, what's going on at the workplace. It's those times especially that you should be like Mary, lingering, hoping, seeking. I expect that some of you might identify very well with Mary's weeping. It may even seem to you this morning as if, maybe you wouldn't put it like this, but it may seem or feel like they've taken away your Lord. Something's happened. Things have changed. And you know with all that is within you that He is Lord. You know with all that is within you that your Redeemer lives. But you doubt yourself maybe. Maybe you question your own salvation. But you want so much to say of Jesus. He's my Lord. He's mine. And I'm his. It may seem that he's distant. You've been praying and praying. And he still seems distant. Should you then in such a time. Turn around and go back to the world. Should you at such a time. Give up. I tell you no. No. Never. Learn from this woman to wait, to seek. God says those who seek him will find him if they seek him with all their heart. Now, we read that Mary turned and she saw Jesus. But she didn't know it was Jesus. She thought he was the gardener. And he also asked her the same question, so this is clearly significant. The angels had just asked her, why are you weeping? Now Jesus himself asks her, why are you weeping? And then also, whom are you seeking? Now you know and I know Jesus knew exactly why she was crying. He knew exactly why she was upset, and he knew exactly who she was seeking, but he asked the question, not for his sake, but for hers. This was Jesus gently, gently reproving, rebuking this woman who was badly mistaken. And you know, that's so like our Savior. That he is sometimes severe, to the point of thunderings against those who are hypocrites, those who pretend religion, but with a bruised reed so careful not to break. And to this woman who was grieving because she loved her master and didn't understand, Jesus came with a gentle word. And I wonder if some of us today, maybe, in our own sorrow and grief, might need the very same question. And if perhaps today Jesus would come softly, tenderly, to some of you and ask you, Why are you weeping? Because, you see, he knows what goes on in the night when others don't know. He knows the torments that afflict some of his own dear people. And perhaps he would ask you today, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Is it right for you to grieve? And then, do you understand what has happened here? Don't you understand the significance of this? And that's why the question that he asks next, Whom are you seeking? Mary, don't you understand who it is that was put in that tomb? Have you forgotten who your Lord is? That he is the Lord of life. He is the creator of the worlds. He is the one who put the stars and the moon in its place. He called it all out by name. Out of nothing came a universe at his command. The Bible says that this Jesus has the power, yes, to take his own life again. He is the one, he is the only one who has the keys of hell and death. He is the resurrection and the life. Has she forgotten this? Whom are you seeking? So I want to ask the very same question this morning. Why are you weeping? Why so downcast? You know, sometimes it's good for us to ask the question of ourselves, as the psalmist did. Why art thou downcast, O my soul? But I believe sometimes it is the Lord himself who comes to us asking that question, a question we need to hear from him. And I want to say, I recognize, of course, that there is a place for tears. The Bible makes that clear. We see that even the Lord Jesus wept. And I don't want to be severe or harsh with anybody who is struggling, who is discouraged. Some of you will know that I have struggled with that myself in the last year. Yeah, Martin Lloyd Jones years ago spoke of something that he called spiritual depression. In the last year, I tasted what I think and could, would consider to be something of that spiritual depression—something I never thought I would face: a tremendous, tremendous discouragement. What our forefathers call the dark night of the soul. And I've needed these words. I've needed this question myself. I think the reality is, is that many of us, we sink so quickly into despair, and we do that because we forget the realities of what we're reading here. We forget that we are so, so rich. We look out into the world and we see what's happening with our neighbours and our coworkers, all these people, and sometimes, sadly, with a sense of envy. Sometimes like Lot's wife. But looking out and seeing all the fun that they seem to be having and looking at the misery that seems to be our appointed Lot and then jealous and self-pitying and sorry and forgetting that it is they, they who are without God and without hope in the world. Do we realize what we have? Do we understand what happened in this moment? The significance of this empty tomb Christian, this whole world is yours in Christ. The whole of it. And all the events of this life, everything that happens from the time you get up in the morning to the time you lay your bed, head down on your pillow at night, through the night and into the next day, all through the years, everything that happens is for you. God said so. It's for the good of those who love him. It's not just life. It's death too. Death too is yours in Christ. I want to ask you to take a moment. Here we have a woman who's who's face to face with death. Face to face with with, with the sense of loss and grief and confusion. Well, have you taken time to consider what death is? when i tell you from a christian perspective from the biblical perspective death is but a door that opens unto eternity and behind that door is the lovely face of your savior we think of it all so wrong don't we we think of loss we think of all that we leave behind in this world forgetting all that we gain in the next But think what a thing it is to go to death, knowing that on that door are written the words, victory. And behind that door, that as we leave this world and enter that place that has been prepared for us, as we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus Christ, that there, there is no more condemnation. Condemnation. There, there's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. There are no more lies. There's no more loneliness. There's no more sin. But victory and holiness and service and worship and Christ. And Christ. Christ is everything there. Think of what it will be to see Jesus waiting for his bride. To be that bride that he's waiting for. That bride that he's been praying for. Saying, as he said in John 17, Father I will, I want that they would appear with me in glory. And think if it was good for the prodigal son to be reunited with his father in this world, how much better it will be to be reunited with God in heaven. If it's good for men to be reunited, if it's good for family to be reunited, think how glorious it will be for us. When we finally see Jesus with our physical eyes and fall on our faces and worship him, not with distraction, not with sin, but with perfection. If some of you have come here this morning and you're not saved, you don't know Jesus Christ truly, he doesn't know you. In the most important sense, you are this morning without God and therefore without hope. And maybe you've noticed then that there are people who are around you who have something that you don't have. They're different. And I'll tell you what they have. One sense very simple, and one sense very glorious that is Jesus. What makes the believer to differ from the unbeliever is Christ. They have Christ. And what a day it would be if this this morning some who were without Christ in this place found him. You know, the invitation of Jesus Christ to sinners, to the worst of sinners, is come and welcome. And how glorious it would be. What rejoicing there would be in heaven. If hearing that invitation, lost sinners, wretches, would come. You know, the Bible is very clear that Jesus Christ is so willing because He didn't come for righteous people, He came for sinners. And He didn't come for healthy people, He came for sick people. He responded to everyone who ever came sincerely in the same way, always with compassion. Always willing. And he said that he is found of them that seek him. Those who knock, the door will be opened. Those who seek, will find. You know, when Jesus says that, when God says that he is found of those who seek him with all the heart, he is not telling us that he is found of those who seek him perfectly. If He were only found of those who seek Him perfectly, none of us would ever find Him. But He is found of those who seek Him truly, sincerely. And those who come to Him, when I say truly, not dishonestly, not as hypocrites trying to hold on to the world with one hand and to Christ with the other, wanting heaven and wanting this world, but with empty hands to take Christ and only Christ. Those are the ones whom Jesus Christ receives. Now what happened next? Well, we have here this moment where all of a sudden, Jesus says her name. Mary. Mary. Suddenly she knew who it was. I think sometimes it's like that in the church, isn't it? There we've gathered in this place. We're all coming from a different set of circumstances, different places this week. We come to this place and we're sitting here and hearing a fallen man bringing the word of the gospel and suddenly we hear the voice of Jesus. It's Christ who's speaking. Think what it must have been like for this woman, this woman who is grieving. He, Where is my Lord? They've taken him away. And then in the midst of her grief, to hear Jesus and to recognize his voice as he says to her, her own name, Mary. And think what a thing it is to be in a place where all the world has gone out and then Jesus comes in and says your name. You open up your Bible and he speaks to you. You sit down in the chair at the church and you begin to hear the words of Scripture, the words of the sermon, and Christ speaks to you. You know, that's what the Spirit does. That's what he does in the life of a man or a woman or a child who is born again. That now as I open up my Bible and begin to read, I'm not just reading words, but God is speaking to me. I come and I sit and I listen to the preacher who's preaching. And Christ is speaking. And it's at times as if he speaks our own names. We know he's speaking to me. This is for me. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. He said, I know my sheep and I'm known by my own. And isn't that just sum up the longing of every Christian heart? To be known by Jesus. And to know him. You know, this is the nature of our struggle in this world. As we walk by faith. That on one hand, we know to the very depths of our being that our redeemer lives. We know it. But there are times when we struggle, don't we? We know our redeemer lives. But we want to be near him. We want to be like Mary sitting at his feet. We want to hear him. And to know that I am his and he is mine. And there are times when that is something that seems to evade us. So I want to then, in conclusion this morning, draw two lessons from this passage and from this episode. The first is this. Sometimes... We are sad when we ought not to be. We are sometimes sad, we are sometimes grieving when we needn't be. You have Mary here weeping because his body's not there. And you and I understand this is cause for rejoicing. Do you see how backward she is? An empty tomb and the woman's crying. And aren't we sometimes a bit like that? Haven't you made the same mistake misinterpreting events, misinterpreting circumstances, misinterpreting what's going on in the world in your life? Forgetting that all these things that seem so bad at the moment were actually meant by God, God who loves you for your good. He said so. Think of that on the grander scale, the big picture. Shouldn't Christians be of all men the very happiest? I say that as somebody who hasn't been the happiest person at times in the last year. And that's an understatement. When I say happiest, I don't mean fake smiles. The fake smiles that we sometimes see on the faces of Pharisees or followers of cults who have those faces plastered. That they aren't real. I'm talking about real, deep happiness. That happiness that comes from knowing who you are and who you belong to. Knowing who He is. And trusting what He has said. Just think for a moment about a couple of things that are so clear in this text, the significance of this text. You and I, if that is, if you are a child of God, if you are in Christ, you and I, are immortal. We're immortal. In one sense, that means that we cannot physically die until the time appointed by God. No matter what Satan may try to do to you, you are kept by God. You have an appointed hour that he has set, and nothing's going to change that by anybody. But there's another sense in which you are immortal, a better sense, I was sharing earlier that uh, D.L. Moody, that preacher from olden days, uh, said once, he said, you know, you're going to read one day in the paper that D.L. Moody has died. Don't believe a word of it. Because if we understand the Scriptures, we recognize that there's going to come a day when we will be with Jesus that day. We will be in paradise today. The Bible actually tells us that if we are in Christ, we are already risen with him. It may not feel like it, may not look like it, but it's true. You can take Jesus at his own words. We are already risen with Christ, already seated in heavenly places. Untouchable by the men of this world. Untouchable by governments. Untouchable by the demons. Already seated. Our names written in heaven. Citizens of heaven. You may be known as a citizen of Canada, but you are known in heaven as something much more. I wonder if we consider these things enough. We're forgetful, aren't we? Don't we forget We get so fixated on what's going on and the things that have been taken from us in this life. We forget who we have. We forget Christ. Of all things to forget, we forget our own Master. Knowing that He lives and yet forgetting all the significance of that. Christians, He is Lord, yes. He's not dead, He's risen. He is alive and he's with us to the end of the age. He's with you. It may be, as I said earlier, like the Apostle Paul, that it could be possible that someone here at some point in your life could be forsaken by absolutely every single creature in the entire world and God will not leave you. He will stand with you and strengthen you as he did the Apostle Paul. Can you think what it will be like To be with Jesus and to behold him forever and ever and ever. In a place where he lightens up all of heaven with his glory. What will Jesus be to you then? If he is precious to you now by faith. How much more precious will he be then? When you can see him not through these eyes and this flesh that is marred by sin and distraction. But to see him. Clearly. Think of if you have known in this world and and sometimes in the sanctuary, you've known joy unspeakable and full of glory. What will it be like? What joy will you know there when you are with Christ, Christ before you? When you can say to him there, as you've wanted to say here, though you have said it so feebly, that you love him. And you tell him, thank you. The peace you've known in this world, and the peace you will know then. The wonder you've had in the church singing praises to God, what a wonder it will be then to sing with all the heavenly host, to sing with all the saints who've gone before us, and all the saints who come after that great, mighty sound, that glorious chorus, singing the praises of our King and our God. That's what's before us. That's before us, each and every one of us in Christ. That's our future. Not knowing what tomorrow brings in this world. Not knowing what heartaches and darkness. Knowing that yet, we are pilgrims. We're strangers in this world. And soon we will be with Jesus. And then secondly and lastly, I want you to remember that God honors those Who honor him. He honors those who honor him. I can tell you that sometimes Satan, I think, will... I know there's a great deal of mystery about how the enemy works. But we know from the scriptures that he has darts that he launches at the, the saints. He comes with accusations. He's a great accuser. And he will tell us that God won't honor those who honor him. But he will. God will. He said so. God honors those who honor him. Now, you look at Mary and you recognize that this is a woman who doesn't have it all together. This is not maybe the best example of faith, of scriptural understanding. But you see how Jesus dealt with her. And I want, to listen, I want you to listen very, very carefully to what one man said about this years ago he said those who love Christ most diligently and perseveringly are those who receive most privileges from Christ's hand it is a touching fact and one to be carefully noted that Mary Magdalene would not leave the sepulchre when Peter and John went away to their own home love made her honor the last place where his precious body had been seen by mortal eyes and her love Reaped a rich reward. It is a certain fact that those who love Christ most fervently and cleave to Him most closely will always enjoy most communion with Him and feel most of the witness of the Spirit in their hearts. And we need to take that to heart. I don't know about you, but if I could walk in anyone's shoes on that day, it would have been Mary's. She was given a great honor, wasn't she? To be the first to see the risen Lord. Why was she visited by Jesus first? Well, simply because she was there at the tomb with her tears. And this is not to say that she was doing something better than the others, that We read here that Peter believed. He believed. She was confused. But the Lord Jesus found a woman who loved him. He found one of his own dear sheep in trouble, in crisis. Missing her Savior, loving her Savior. And so in his own loving kindness, he came to her. And he honored her. You see, this woman, though she did not know exactly what was going on, understood that Jesus was her Lord. She knew that. She knew, though she didn't know what was going on, what was happening, where he was, she knew that Jesus Christ was Lord. He was her Lord. And those tears of hers were precious to her Redeemer. As the scriptures say, God puts our tears in his bottle. And here we have a woman who could not hide her affection. She was not a stoic. She couldn't keep it in. She loved her savior and there were tears. This was not intellectual faith merely. It was real. So her love was real. And I wonder what God sees when you are in secret. What does God see when you are in secret? Is it possible? Could it be that for some of you it's a bit like Mary? Maybe there is some confusion. Maybe things are a little bit muddled up. Maybe it's not what we would set before the church as the greatest of examples. But could it be that God finds one of his own dear people, one of his own sheep for whom he went to the cross, with love for the master? What tears of affection does God put in his bottle? I know that some of you have been made different. We all have our gifts. Some of us maybe some not sure they have too many gifts, some with many gifts, some with great intellects, and others not so much. Well, that's OK. You're never going to rise to the stature of a Paul or a Timothy. Maybe you're never going to have influence in the church. Maybe you never have influence in the world. You go through your whole life and nobody really knows your name. Except maybe a few people around you and your family. But like Mary, you know your Redeemer. And you love Him. And while many Marthas around you busy themselves with one, many, many things, you have found the one thing needful. And you love to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. Maybe like Mary, you're here today, and you're in a dark season. And I don't say that lightly. Honestly, I used to say that lightly at times, but I don't say that lightly. I understand that sometimes in the life of a believer, it can be dark, very dark. Maybe that's been your experience. Maybe that's where you are right now. You came here this morning because you should be here, and that's about all. Maybe you could say there's a sense in which you miss God. You miss times with him. You miss that excitement that was there before. And yet, like Mary, you wait on God. You wait. You come, and you come again, because you've nowhere else to turn. And you can say to Jesus, to whom shall I go? Do you remember how the disciples... Answered Jesus as he came to them with that question. Everyone else had left. The teaching was too hard. They had all their own reasons for leaving. Jesus turned to the disciples and said, are you going to go away as well? And their answer, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I expect that there are some here this morning and that's about all you can say for yourself today. I know my Redeemer lives. I know He's worthy. To whom shall I go? And it is as you wait on Him, no matter how weak your faith, that you will find Him. Because He said so. He always honors those who honor Him. And so to those of you who are laboring quietly behind the scenes, it's not front and center, It's not significant in the eyes of the world, maybe not significant in the eyes of the church, but as you labor quietly in a hidden place of prayer at the throne of grace, praying, seeking God, don't grow weary. Be unmovable, steadfast in the service of the Lord. At the end, you will be honored. You will have the joy of hearing Jesus speak your name. You know, I I would far rather far far rather have the position of a Mary as insignificant as she was with these little privileges and yet significant honor than the position of the greatest man the greatest intellect without this wouldn't you if somehow some way you could be given the choice as you survey the world and the church and look at what some have and others have and what you have or don't have. If it were possible for you to be given everything but Christ, everything but a close walk with Jesus, or to have Jesus, close walk with Jesus, and nothing, wouldn't you take him? I would gladly trade the intellect of the greatest of men and the success of the most successful of men for the love of this woman, to love Jesus Christ simply, to be faithful to the end. I would far rather have influence with God in a sense to be like Jacob, prevailing in the place of prayer than to prevail with men and known by men. And so, Christians, if you're going to gain one thing with the remaining months and years, gain more of Christ. More love for Christ. Because He's all. He's everything. And He's worthy. And if you don't know Him, don't let the accuser chase you away today. No matter what you've done, the Savior of sinners is eager to save sinners. And nothing causes more rejoicing in heaven and more rejoicing among the saints than to see the worst of sinners delivered from their sin and serving and praising Jesus Christ.